I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess is a proud partner of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Welcome back to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess. Today's guest is Champaign County Board Member Kyle Patterson. Good afternoon, Kyle. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. Now, you are a graduate of Central High School and a University of Illinois alum. Have you ever lived anywhere else? I, I lived in Urbana for one year. Kind of not what I meant, but... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the extent. Okay. So you worked with Parkland College's Migrant Education Program. You also used to work at a daycare center. Obviously, your professional life took you down the education path at the beginning. What did you learn from the kids in daycare and the migrants you guided? From the kids in daycare, I learned from them that a career in daycare is not something I would like to pursue. When it comes to the migrant program... That was probably one of the most educational experiences I think that I've had. Seeing these people who, uh, most of them live in the Rio Grande Valley down in Texas, uh, around Brownsville, that type of area. And uh, they come up here for the summertime to do migrant work, such as tasseling corn, basically work that we're not willing to do as Americans. And pretty much the two categories of the tasselers are either migrant workers who are either immigrants or first, second generation, typically, or teenagers who are too dumb to realize that it's a horrible job and we'll do it either one summer and never do it again or not even make it through the whole summer. So we'd meet with these kids who had been spending, you know, 13 hours in the hot sun since 5 a.m. and they come home and they shower off and they come and tutor with us. And I can't imagine as a teenager in the summertime wanting to tutor in general, let alone after working a shift that for me as a 32-year-old adult have never, as far as the intensity of that work, And uh, it was really inspirational. It really kind of showed me what this group of people is really about. Let's talk about your Democratic nomination for District 7. You got the endorsement pretty quickly of former board members Josh Hartke, Sam Shore, Pius Weibel. Why do you think your message resonated so strongly with them? A lot of us operate on sort of the same wavelength. I mean, for lack of a better term, we're college town lefties. But really just taking a progressive standpoint to these local issues, a lot of times when it comes to local issues, because it's not discussed on CNN and with the talking heads and we don't have national party officials telling us where we should stand on different local taxation issues or zoning issues, we sort of lose progressive values, even though that we might be representing the progressive party, sometimes the spectrum of ideology gets mushed a little bit. And I I think that they saw that I was somebody who stayed focused on the progressive angle of things, even on the local level. What made you decide to run for county board? And prior to that, were you in any elected office? Deception. (laughs) (laughs) No, I've never, that was the first time. I was very interested in getting involved in civic activities. And I made friends with some people who uh, made me aware of the opening. And I grew up in this district. And it felt very fitting to represent it. I really thought in the last nominating process for county board chair, you would end up being the chairperson, but you aren't. Walk me through what happened that night and behind the scenes. Essentially, uh, Gerardo Rosales was elected board chair. There are 13 Democrats and nine Republicans on the county board. It takes 12 votes to be elected chair. He was able to get all of the nine Republicans and two Democrats and himself to vote for himself over me. A unique occurrence to happen in a legislative body but it is not unique to Champaign County. Uh, There are people much greater than myself who this has happened to in the past. It's something that is politically unsavory, but it's not something that I think that I've allowed to get in the way of the issues that we need to deal with right now. One of the things that you do on the county board, you're the county board appointee on the county mental health board. 
What are some of the programs that they fund? Mental Health Board is a local body that is appointed by the county board and the county executive, and it oversees uh, the disbursements of about $4.5 million worth of, you'd recognize it as a grant, but technically it's a contract with local agencies, both big and small. Some of those stuff that you might have heard of that they fund, the Truce Program, which is a program that, that uses the interrupters model um, for crime prevention by going into the community and working with the individuals who are involved in trying to create um, basically a ceasefire. And ceasefire is actually the program that my understanding is that it's modeled off of. There's also CU Neighborhood Champions, which is uh, Karen Sims is operating them now. It is a uh, trauma-informed program where they look at not the individuals who are involved in the shooting or who might be necessarily involved in future shootings, but but looking at the individuals who were traumatized by this event, whether it's the loved ones, the neighbors, the people in the community. And I think a lot of times when we talk about gun violence, particularly within the black community, we don't really talk about the people who weren't shot, the people who might be relatives or loved ones or neighbors who are really experiencing a lot of trauma. So, so it's really cool to, you know, fund programs like that. But there's a variety of stuff, just mental health services through Rosecrans, RPC, Muhammad Area Youth Club, just a lot of different agencies. It's, I think in total, it's over 30 as far as the different programs that we funded this year. When a position like this comes up on the county board and they need an appointee as a liaison, do you raise your hand and volunteer for this? Do they look around and say, who would be the best fit for this? How does that work? Usually at the beginning of a term, every two years, we have to appoint all of our different positions. And usually, whether it's the uh, board chair or the executive, we'll send out an inquiry to the whole board, notifying us of the vacancies and we basically correspond with what we'd prefer to do. And that was, for me, the mental health board was uh, something I immediately jumped at. Let's talk about your day job. Your day job at Cunningham Township, part of your job is helping people find affordable housing. Talk about the housing crisis locally and nationally. We have serious issues in Champaign-Urbana that a lot of people are oblivious to. We're a college town and that really inflates rent. And in Champaign-Urbana, it is very, very difficult for low-income people to afford rent, particularly people who are disabled. You'll have somebody who is disabled and they're on what is called SSI through Social Security Disability Benefit. That's $771 a month. The median rent in Champaign County is over that amount. So unless they have a housing subsidy, there's not really an option for them. I think a lot of people don't realize just how widespread homelessness is in our community. And a big aspect of that is that what we middle class people think of as a homeless person is one small aspect. And that's the, you know, people you will see downtown or on campus who are panhandling. And there are many people who come into my office every day who you would never in a million years assume that they're homeless and they walk by you every day and you see them every day and we don't know that it's going on because we don't see the people who are doubled up with their kids in somebody's living room or the people who are um, sleeping in the Walmart parking lot in their car with their kids. And there, there's no year-round shelter, even crisis nursery. Once your kid's over six years old, your kid can't stay there. And so there's really not a lot of options out there. And it's really devastating. When somebody comes into your office and they're looking for housing, where do you start? You take them, you sit down, you take an intake, or how exactly does that work? So what we do is we we look at uh, individuals' income to see what sort of rent they can afford. And what we can do is we can offer them a, a grant to essentially give them rental assistance to help pay for usually that first deposit. But for us, even with the work that we do, the limited funding we have, it's a one-time assistance. So really it's designed to help people who 
We'll be able to afford that rent moving forward, but need to get over that hump of paying the deposit. Or we also help people facing eviction. And you may have somebody who had a medical emergency, who was in between jobs temporarily. And right now they have an income that can maintain it. But just that little bit of time missed can, can absolutely devastate somebody's whole life. And then if you get an eviction and you have that on your record, that limits the amount of landlords that'll rent to you and the ones that will rent to you. Sometimes I've seen where they've asked for a deposit that is three times as much as what the rent is. So it can really lead to a, a downward spiral, especially for people who are in subsidized housing, because if you experience an eviction, most likely you're basically banned for life from having a HUD-funded subsidy. Do you find that you spend a lot of your time educating not just your clients that come in there, but the community on what township government is? Every time somebody asks me what I do, I say, first, I'm going to explain to you township government. (laughs) Because it is one of those weird layers of government that people don't really understand and people don't really know about. But the work that's done by the township level of government is really important. Obviously, I work for the supervisor side, which is we provide public assistance to low-income individuals. And then even the other side, the assessor's office, they, they set all of the valuations for properties as it relates to property taxes. So these are really important tasks. So it's not you know obscure form of government where people are sitting around doing God knows what all day. But still, it, it, it's something that kind of goes under the radar. And my boss, Danielle Chenoweth, uh, she's an absolute inspiration. She's made a lot of waves. She's gotten a lot of media coverage, and she's definitely raised a lot of attention on the issue of poverty in the community. You've said, and I'm sorry to bring up the jail and the nursing home, but I can't have you in my studio without asking about these things. You have said we need to have a, quote, safe jail. Do we need to build a new jail or do we need to fix up the downtown jail? It's my understanding that fixing up the downtown jail is just the amount that it would cost. It would just wouldn't make any sense to fix it up. We don't need more space. And I think that that's an important aspect to understand. The issue is not necessarily that we're running out of beds and we don't have enough space, it's that we don't have the right kind of space. We have situations um, that require separation. There's a lot of uh, gang activity that goes on locally, and there's been violence in the jails, and they have to have certain separations. And so they may have enough beds, but they need beds that they can isolate. When it comes to people who are experiencing mental health episodes, they can't be around other individuals. They don't have any facilities currently that they can, in a humane way, you know, keep this individual safe. There are inadequate facilities for medical services currently, and it's just a, it's really a crammed space right now. The presentation that was given was probably about three weeks ago now. There was a number that was stated, $47 million. What's important to understand, and the way it was sort of reported in the news Gazette, it didn't quite make clear, it was made clear in the presentation that this wasn't to say that to do construction on the jail, it's all going to cost $47 million. What The way I saw it was the architecture firm saying, these are all the different possible things you could add to the jail, and this is what the total price of all of them combined would be. Now it's our turn to go in and say, okay, we can do this, we can do that, we can do that. And what's really important for me to see is what steps we take forward investing in, it's not just programming within the jail, but programming within the community. The justice system is a very good point for catching people who need services because people who are dealing with behavioral health and mental health issues wind up in the jail. And 
yes, there should be services there, but we should also have services that prevent people from getting there. And we do have a lot of services in the community, but I think that there's always more that we could invest in. Speaking of services in the community, what was it, two years ago, then board chair Pius Weibel was out buying paper towels and toilet paper to drop off at the nursing home. These are people who this might be their last chance to have somewhere safe to go for their final days. Are you still adamantly opposed to selling the nursing home? Do you still wish that that hadn't gone down how it did? It's a difficult question to answer because obviously the ship has sailed and the county no longer owns the home. I think that the mistakes that were made, it's difficult to identify the point where we started making bad decisions or we started not making the appropriate investments. Unfortunately, I, I think that that started sometime before I joined the board. And I think that after years and years and years of negative news coverage relating to financial issues with the home, it created a sort of anxiety and fear amongst the population about the quality of care within the home. And I would like to make clear that those are two separate issues. And there were people who couldn't differentiate between the idea of losing money and spending money. Lots of times we talk about having to subsidize the nursing home. Well, we also subsidize the sheriff's office. We also subsidize the state's attorney's office. There are lots of offices that we have and programs we run that do not generate revenues that fund themselves. And the idea of having a public nursing home is that we're going to have a high quality nursing home that we subsidize to make it better. And if you fundamentally disagree with that concept, then you fundamentally disagree with that concept, but don't mistake it for wasting money because that is spending money. We don't say, oh, man, we just lost $10 million and all we have is this brand new road that we paved. You know, we spent That's a that perfect money. example. Let's talk about the next election because we had such a beautiful blue wave here in Champaign County. Who's worth paying attention to that's running for a county board seat in the next election? The big county board race last year was Leah Taylor in District 5. That was a seat that has always been held by Republicans and it was taken for the first time by a Democrat. The other seat in that district is up this year and Jordan Humphreys is running for that seat, currently occupied by a Republican. And I think that's going to be a district that we're going to take. Do you think there's going to be another blue wave in Champaign County in the next election? I don't think it's going to happen naturally. I think there was a real misconception out there that all these people would have came out and they would have voted the way they were going to vote no matter what. Just because of Donald Trump, there is some truth to that. But the reality is, is that the Democratic Party and the local tsunami of volunteers that I've never seen before came out and they pushed a very, very strong message of vote the whole ticket. And you can even look at other counties like Lake County, for example, historically has had all Republicans as their countywide elected offices elected in midterms. And this year they saw a big blue wave, but they didn't sweep every office. And you're hard pressed to find another county that did what we did. You see some counties that picked up seats they hadn't before, but to sweep everything that that was to sort of put it in perspective. When it comes to the undervote, which is when somebody casts a ballot and they don't vote in a specific race. In 2016, on campus, for example, for countywide offices, the undervote amongst students was 25%. A quarter of every student that voted did not vote for the countywide offices. 2018, it was 7%. And even the countywide numbers, which Gonna kind of have to kind of wing it on this. I believe in 2016, the countywide results for the countywide elected offices undervote was, say it was probably about 7%. This year it was about 3%. That is a big, big difference. And that doesn't just happen because of the media coverage or people's sentiments about somebody who's not even on the ballot. That happens because we had hundreds of volunteers. I've never seen something like that before in my life. 
So it was a lot of hard work and a lot of smart people. Who do you want to see win the most? Elizabeth Warren. Okay. All right. Elizabeth Warren is a great answer. I was going to go more locally. Uh, Betsy Londrigan. Actually, Elizabeth Warren was on my list. Uh, Emily Rodriguez. Who means the most to you outside of the presidential ticket? Outside of the presidential ticket. That's an interesting question. We don't have a lot of contested primaries. Like I stated earlier, picking up District 5, that's an extra vote on the county board. And I think that that's really crucial. Uh, We do have some contested primaries locally. I haven't really publicly taken a position on any of those yet, but I'm uh, definitely excited to see Elizabeth Warren be the 46th president of the United States of America. What can get her there? I know you say knocking on doors and calling and all, but who does she need to put in her vice president slot in order to make that happen? I am a big supporter of the mindset that the vice president nominee does not matter unless it's Sarah Palin. I really, because there's a lot of like hype around it and it is interesting. Um, It's always like the next big story after you know who the nominee is. But really, without thinking about it, who is Hillary Clinton's running mate? Tim something from Virginia. Exactly, exactly. Tim Kaine. Yes, yes. But it took you a second. It did. No, there's times where I I have to hesitate to think of who the vice president is right now. And I say Sarah Palin because... The vice president can hurt your nomination, but I don't think any vice president is ever going to push somebody over the line. All right, I have to ask, do you want to be county board chair? And if so, tell me why you would make a good leader. I don't know. I guess I'll have to see come December 2020. Um, Hopefully I'm reelected to the county board. And if I am, uh, it might be something I'd look into again. I don't know. I don't know what the makeup of the board is going to be. I don't know where other members are going to be at as far as uh, other interested people. When I ran this last time, part of the factor was uh, not many other people stepping up to do it. So we'll have to see. As far as the qualities that I think I could bring to it is that I'm somebody who does my homework. I try to read my packets before the meetings. I try to understand what they say. And I'm always open to having dialogue with people. I don't mind if there is tension or a tense relationship, I'm still willing to sit down and put that aside and just have a conversation about things. You know, I find that not everybody is necessarily willing to do that, but that's something I've always been willing to do. And we need somebody who has a vision and direction. And I think I have that. Thank you for listening to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Kyle Patterson, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me.